0: Anyway, family, what a treat this morning to have um, Quentin Pretorius, who's going to share the word with us. I need to describe who Quentin is to you. Quentin has a 22-year experience in speaking, facilitating training within major corporations, universities, and youth organizations across South Africa and abroad. He lives and breathes diversity from personal experience. I'm quoting Rory my daughter from personal experience I've seen diversity uh, in Quentin's life and relates exceptionally well to people from diverse backgrounds his personal his story is a shining example of how one can overcome very difficult circumstances. Quentin was program head and integrator of the Spirit of Youth program at Gibbs, uh, Gordon, Business, Gordon Institute of Business Science, where he has also completed a qualification in social entrepreneurship. He has been involved in various teams with youth empowerment, including um, uh, Team Itemba, the youth ministry of His People Church. He used to be with uh, youth working together with Mark and Debbie uh a few years ago. And he's um, one of six Africans credited to work with the cultural intelligence center in the U.S. and also is a fellow of the Clinton Democracy Fellowship Program. And currently he is the CEO of Young and Able and continues to work with companies all over the country to promote diversity and cultural integrity. I want us to welcome Quentin, who lives what he preaches.
1: Thank you, Sai. Good morning. I hate that thing. Uh, I don't enjoy it at all. I want to say, first of all, thank you to Annie and Sai for setting up this series so, so, so well. Uh, it's given me a really great platform to, to jump off from, and um, I've got no presentation, no slides, but I've got a couple of interesting little gadgets that I want to pull out. So I want to do a bit of a recap. The recap is, n- hey, did it fall on the floor? Okay. Um, the recap is, we're looking at God at work, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the longest living or the longest reigning monarch of um, the kingdom of uh, Babylon. And um, he, he's looking for talent. He's looking for magicians. He's looking for seers. He's looking for a whole bunch of people because he's, he's having dreams and a whole bunch of things are happening. So he decides to have Babylon has talent um, to, to, to get some of these people in. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are uh, that's their stage names, obviously, right? They, they got this great fire routine, right, where they dance in a fire. And they thought that that would be a really good number to bring to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel has really got this idea that he can do like some work with lions. And so, they, so the, Israel, the guys enter this competition and the perks of this kind of job is going to be fantastic. Living in the palace, hanging out with the king, you know, it's going to be a really great idea. Uh, maybe not, right? So, so, that's not how the story goes. And that's not what Simon and Annie told us. But I, I so- sometimes think that we think that when we hear these Bible stories, there's this glamorized, like, it's also sanitized the way this looks. And it's, there's nothing sanitized about it. So, I want to um, introduce you to, to Daniel uh, this morning in the form of a candle. And, Sai, the reason why this candle's fat is because you told us that Daniel is fat. And so, it's a fat candle. Um, Daniel is in love with the Lord, uh, so that's the fire, hopefully it works, you know, props always need to work, um, and so Daniel's in, in love with the Lord, he's working for Nebuchadnezzar, must I tilt it, uh, you see mlungus and candles and stuff, all right, cool. <laughs> You can see I wasn't desperate enough at night to, uh, oh, the thing is not working. So anyway, while Sir is getting Daniel in, on fire for the Lord, um, Daniel has served four kings, or serves four kings in Babylon. Um, his co-workers are magicians, uh, uh, um, diviners—not really good, uh, good, good folk—and um, he he he's uh, he's he's needing to do uh, interpretations of of dreams. He's needed to do all these things, and he's doing a good, good job. So we've got a whole bunch of people working on this candle. <laughs> hey, um, but Daniel's life, he's on fire for God, but Daniel's got lots of things against him. His co-workers are looking out to kill him. If he makes a mistake with Nebuchadnezzar, it could end his life, right? If he makes a mistake with Darius, it could end his life. If he makes those, so his working environment, his boss is not going to get the boss of the year award. Uh, Babylon is not going to get the, 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 the award of the top employee of the, of the, of the year. And, and, it, and I wouldn't say that he has a healthy working relationship with his peers. So that's the one side of the story that we're working really hard to get going. The other side of the story is I want to speak about Elisha. And um, the reason why this candle thins is because Elisha runs everywhere. And he runs really fast. And so it's a thin candle for Elisha. And the reason why I've broken the candle in half is that I'm only looking at a part of Elisha's story today. Whereas we're looking at the full story of Daniel. So that's why it's a big story. And often I think as, as people, we judge people because of a small thing that they've done. And that small thing becomes their whole story, right? And so I want us to remind ourselves today that as we think about Elisha's story, that there's a whole part of the story I'm leaving out. And Elisha, just like Daniel, and this one's going to work, is on fire for the Lord. He's doing incredible stuff for God. Daniel is still struggling, eh? Oh, there, he's there. He's, there. he's coming. I promise you there is a fire there. It'll come. Right. But is on fire for the Lord. He's doing incredible things in, in Israel. He's serving under the king. He's serving under the eighth king in Israel, Ahab who's um, not a good guy. He's a he poor choice in woman. He married Jezebel, who's probably one of the evilest women in the Bible. And, um, and, and the relationship between Elijah and, and this king is not good. Because whenever the king sees him, are you the troublemaker of Israel? Because Elijah is always giving uh, the king bad news. And so eventually, Elisha um, stops it from reigning. And so one of his greatest exploits, we know, is in king's 1 verses uh, uh, 8, uh, is this Kings 1 18, where, where um, Elisha challenges the prophets of Baal to a challenge. Maybe it's prophets have talent, right? And they come together and they set up a, an altar. And the Baal prophets set up an altar yeah. Daniel sets on a prophet, uh, an altar there. And the prophets of Baal try everything. They're cutting themselves. They're singing. They're shouting. They're chanting. And there's nothing happening To this altar. And Elisha starts hurling insults at them like, Your God is sleeping, is he on the toilet, has he gone on holiday? Maybe you should shout higher, do a different move, play a different song. Maybe you start feeling the presence of your God. I don't know, do something. And nothing happens. Then Elisha comes, and remember it's a drought, they have water shortages. He asks them to dig dig a trench. He then fills the altar and the offering with water until the whole thing is drenched. And then he just says, God, come. And God comes burns up the altar, kills the 450 prophets of Baal, and things are like really happening for Elijah now. And so he gets word via an SMS or tweet, I don't know, right, that that Jezebel is coming for him. And she makes a call that he will be dead before the end of the day. So what does Elisha do? Does he say, bring it on, I'm ready, because I've already killed 450 people. The fire of God has come down. What does he do? He runs for his life. And he runs and goes and sits under a tree. And he begins to laminate about how difficult his life is. And that God should have come through for him, but he didn't. And so he sits under the tree and he says to God, Take my life. I'm done for. I don't want to do this anymore. And this morning, I'm really fascinated between these two characters. Both have very similar situations. And even though Daniel's light is burning quietly, um, it is burning, right? But yet, something's happening to Elisha. And I don't know how many of us feel like this at the workplace. So on fire for God. We come on a Sunday, we have this incredible worship, we pray for release, and on Monday, it feels like I'm under that tree. It feels like my light is going out, and if it hasn't gone out, you can feel it going. And so for me, the question is, what is the difference between Daniel and this particular part of Elisha's life. And so for me, what stands out for me is this. Is that Daniel was a guide and Elisha was a hero. And so unpack that a little bit. Anybody, any sky, um, um, uh, Star Wars people in the room? Right, so Star Wars people will understand this. This is Yoda and this is Luke Skywalker. Right? Daniel was Yoda, Daniel was Rafiki in um, The Lion King, and that is Simba. And God calls us not to be the hero, but to be the guide, right? And when we are the guide, think about Daniel. When he's in the presence of the kings, all four kings, he doesn't take central points. In fact, when I was doing the study, I'm looking for great quotes from Daniel. There are very few quotes from Daniel. In fact, there's very little that Daniel says. And so when Daniel's in the, in the presence of kings, he doesn't take the limelight. However, when Elisha is in the center of that whole fiasco, he's in the center. The spotlight is on him. And so if we in the workplace are going to continue to let our light shine, we need to become the people that are guides, not heroes. And if I look at the life of Jesus, whenever Jesus interacted with people, he was not the hero. Think about it. The woman at the well. Uh, the woman with the issue of the blood. Any, the, any other text. Any Anytime Jesus was with somebody, what was he doing? He was a guide to the Father. And so this morning, if we're going to work with our colleagues at work, do not become the hero. Become the guide. Because Jesus set that example. And so for me, it's a, it's a, Daniel reminds me of Mandela a little bit. Mandela had this uncanny way of making other people feel like they were more important, like they were the most important person in the room. A friend of mine, Bukhle Glamini, met Mandela twice. The first time with a group of 20 or so people from the Salvation Army. The second time, it was a more intimate meeting. They were doing a film shoot with Mandela. And so Buchle was a little nervous meeting Mandela. And so they met him at his Houghton office and they so put his tie on and he's standing there all nervous. Mandela comes in and Mandela says, because uh, he, obviously he's been grief, briefed in terms of that. Bukhle, he comes up to Bukhle he says, hi, Bukhle. Nice to see you. Do you remember me? <laughs> and Bookley's like, Do I remember you? You, Mandela. But how many of us, when we walk into the room, we expect everybody to know us? And so, if you're the hero, you're interesting. But when you're the guide, you're interested. And so, every time you walk into the room, I want us to be more interested than interesting, right? And so, it reminds me of a story, uh, uh, Craig Rochelle, a big pastor in the U.S. And on a Friday afternoon, I don't know if it's the same in our church, but on a Friday afternoon, it's sort of like dead time. If you're you, yeah, you working extra hours, you're pulling extra. Because Friday, you're setting up. Like, you don't want people yeah at 3 or 4. By 3 o'clock, they shouldn't really be. If you're at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, you're in extra time. So it's the same in this church. I hope maybe, right? So in this American church, Craig Rochelle goes to the church on a Friday afternoon just to say well done to the staff that are putting in extra. And he, he goes around doing fist pumps to everybody. And so the one Friday, he did his fist pumps, and he's getting in his car, and as he's driving out the church property, this lady starts running behind him, waving her hands, screaming and shouting. So he stops his car. She runs up to him. He thinks the building's on fire. And she runs up to the car, and she's like, Phew. she says, you forgot my fist pump. Some of us this morning are feeling like God has forgotten to give us a fist pump. And people at your work are just wanting a fist pump. Now, a fist pump isn't anything big to me, but there's a fist pump, right? And so the fist pump for me this morning is going to be to remind us of the things we're talking about. And so the fist pump says that we need to appreciate people more than we should. And that's whether we say it, show it, write it, celebrate it. In Romans 12, 9 to 21, gives us a clear indication of how we should show up. We should be sincere, devoted to one another, honoring honouring others above ourselves. We need to be patient. We need to be faithful in prayer. We need to practice hospitality. Host- English is running away from me early in the morning, right? Um, we don't need to reply to evil with evil. God takes our revenge, right? And so for a moment, please give somebody a fist pump next to you and say, be more interested than interesting Right. And so when you leave this morning, as you're walking out there, you'll have a couple of fist pumps to tell people as you walk out. The next difference between Elisha and Daniel is that Elisha was motivated, where Daniel was inspired. And the difference between the two, so inspiration is something that you feel on the inside. It's something that becomes a driving force, where motivation is something happens on the outside outside and is a, is a pulling force or a pushing force, right? And so the only way I can explain it is a story. And um, traditionally, the story is about building cathedrals, but um, in the South African context, cathedrals mean very little to us. And so I need to talk about stadiums, because that's uh, like where, where our modern-day cathedrals are, I think, right? And so when building the 2010 Soccer World Cup, uh, and they're busy building. There were three kinds of workers on, the, on, on this thing. The first worker that you would see would be mixing cement, doing his thing, but he looks a little grumpy as he's doing this. And when you go up to him and ask him, What are you doing? You say, I'm mixing cement. Consciously, I'm mixing cement. And then there's another person that's mixing the cement, but he's looking a little bit more friendly. You go up to him and say, What are you doing? And he'll say, I'm providing work. I'm I'm working so I can provide for my family. Right? And And then there's it. And then there's this third guy that you'll see. On a building site. They're always singing and dancing as they're doing exactly the same thing as these two guys are doing. And he's doing his thing. And when you go up to him and say, what are you doing? He'll say, can't you see? I'm building a stadium where 90,000 people will come and watch the end World Cup uh, soccer. And a billion people, that's what I'm doing. And perspective changes everything that they do. The first two people are motivated. The third person is inspired. And when I think about Jesus on the cross, Jesus is more, he's not motivated to go to the cross. There's nothing motivating about the cross. So I think if Jesus was motivated to go to the cross, he probably ended up like Elisha under a tree and say, Lord, take my life quietly under the tree. Nobody needs to know, right? But Jesus was inspired because there was something bigger at that, right? And so when you at work, are you just there because it's a job? Are you there... Yeah, it's important to provide for your family. But are you there? Because there's something deeper that God wants to do through you. What is the inspiration that is driving you to be where you are? Because these two men had the same circumstances, but very different motivations in terms of what they were doing. The last one between Daniel and Elisha is consistency and boundaries. Daniel, you know the story of the tortoise and the hare. Are you all familiar with the tortoise and the hare? The race between tortoise and the hare. We all put our money on the hare. Seems like faster, leaner, machine. But at the end of the day, it's the tortoise that wins the race, right? And so for me, Daniel is the tortoise and Elisha is the hare or the rabbit. Um, Daniel is slow, purposeful, and consistent. Where Elisha is fast, impulsive, and inconsistent. And when we think about consistency, it's the story of the the race to the South Pole. Like, we're all racing to go to Mars, like now. At a particular time in history, there was a race to get to the South Pole. It's 1911. And two people are trying to get to the South Pole first. It's the English, which is Robert Scott. And then there's a Norwegian, Ronald Ardenson. And they're trying to get to the... Whoever gets there first, like, gets to put their flag there. Bragging rights, first to the South Pole. <clears throat> There's a lot of to unpack in this, but I want to unpack one thing about these two gentlemen. So Scott's strategy was that when the sun is shining, whether it shines in the South Pole or not, it's, when, when, it, when the conditions are good, <clears throat> we go as far as we can, as quickly as we can. And when the bad weather sets in, we hunker down, we settle down, we wait for the good weather, and then we'll go further. Where the Norwegian said, you know, whether it's good weather or bad weather, we're going to march 20 miles a day regardless. doesn't matter. If there's good weather, we'll march 20 miles, rest, take our stock. Bad weather, 20 miles every day. And so at the end of the, this, there's a couple of other things that happen. But at the end of the story, Amundsen never makes it to the, uh, Scott never makes it to the South Pole. His whole team die uh, trying to get back. Amundsen makes it back, makes it to the South Pole and loves to tell the story. And for me, that's the power of what we call consistency. Daniel was consistent. Didn't matter if he was in the lion's den. didn't matter if he was in Nebuchadnezzar's presence, Whether, wherever he was, he was consistent. And Siah and Annie told that us, right? Prayer three times a day, never compromised on his meals. Consistent, consistent, d- doesn't matter. Consistent. However, Elisha, not so much. causing a drought. Fire down from heaven, doing incredible stuff, and then goes under a tree and asks God to take his life. Then goes to a cave and doesn't know what he's doing, feeling like he's all alone. And so for me, the big question I want to ask you this morning, what is your 20-mile march? What are those things that you're consistently doing, ongoing, right? Because when you do that, you end up like Daniel. But if you don't and we're inconsistent, we end up like this. The next thing is this, because consist- you can be consistently bad, right? So it's not about consistently bad. It's about consistently with good boundaries. So I don't know if you remember, there are three kinds of soccer games we've all ever played in our lives. Boys and girls in the room. The first soccer game, I don't know if you remember it. You would be at home or at school and there's no boundaries and you got the ball. When you got the ball, Baba, you'd take it anywhere. You even go around the house you score the goal from the back of the goal, right? Remember how that guy, he took the ball, and if he was good, he would spend half an hour running right there. And those games were fun if you had the ball, but it was really frustrating because we didn't have lines. So then we said, no, we're going to put lines down. So this is the second kind of soccer ball game. You put shoes, remember, you put shoes down. So that would now, but every now and then you could go out because it wasn't completely like firm, firm lines, right? And then, and then we all graduated into club soccer. Oh, we got to the club for the first time. There's a painted line. There's no, like the World Cup, there's, there's no doubt. There's even cameras now that watch if the ball goes out of the line, right? And so the question for me is, which boundaries do you have? Are, are your boundaries just like all over the place? Or are your boundaries really tight? And for me, what's interesting about these tight boundaries is that um, those painted ones, have you ever been on a soccer pitch where they haven't painted those boundaries for a while? So when you play the game, sometimes you can go out and nobody will notice. I think in our lives, and I think this is, you know, they say you teach best what you need best, is that sometimes in our lives, those lines have become blurred. And we don't know when we, we do know, but because they blurred, we go out. And so that means we, we're stepping out of those lines with relationships with our family We're stepping out of those lines in terms of bringing more work home than we ever should. We're stepping out of those lines when it comes to church on a Sunday, connect groups. And we start allowing those things to go. And before we know it, we're back at that first game where we're running all over the place. And so for Daniel, his lines were very clear. And how does he keep his lines clear? By his 20-mile march. But also that he had people in his life, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that would hold him accountable to what he's doing. And so when we come to church on a Sunday, it's not just about the worship, which was absolutely incredible. But when we come to church on Sunday, you know what we're doing? We're painting that line again. Right? When we go to Connect Group, we're painting that line. Right? And and so my encouragement for you this morning is to, to continue to paint that line. Because if we don't, we become like Elisha. The line becomes blurry. And we end up under a tree. Asking God all kinds of questions that we've never began to even begin to think that we'd ever asked. Did you ever think that when fire is coming from heaven, consuming that altar, that a a day later, Elisha would be asking God to take his life? Not so. And so this morning, maybe you, that person sitting under the tree, asking God all kinds of questions about, I feel my life and my connection with you, Lord, is dwindling. This passion that I had for you, it just feels like, and, and maybe some of us are feeling that way. But what I love about the God story is that it's a redemption story. And that God doesn't allow Elisha just to sit under the tree. And while he's under the tree, an angel appears to him and feeds him. He says, Elisha, eat and drink. Rest. And maybe the word for some of us today is stop trying so hard. If you want breakthrough in your business, eat and rest, because God will meet you where you're at, and any kind of work that you're trying to do is futile, and so God is saying to you this morning, eat and rest, because the journey ahead of you is far too great for any of us to do, and so I want to encourage you this morning, whether you're at work, in your family, uh, whatever circumstances you find yourself at, that there is a hope for you this morning, Right? And after Daniel, after Elisha eats under the tree, he walks 40 days to a cave. When he gets to the cave, God encounters him in the cave. And God says to Elisha, what are you doing here? And Elisha says, I was on fire for you, Lord. I was zealous. I was was like in with you. But they want to kill me. I'm the only one left. There was an earthquake, a fire, and there was some other thing, there were three things, wind, and God wasn't in those. And this morning, maybe some of you came to church this morning hoping for some fire, some earthquake, some kind of a miraculous thing to happen. God sometimes is in that, but maybe this morning he's not in that. Maybe he's just in the still, quiet voice, and he's asking you, what are you doing here? And your answer might be, I'm zealous for you, but I feel alone at work. I feel like I'm the only one carrying this burden. And if we read a little bit more down on that verse, God eventually says to Elisha that he saved 7,000 other believers, and they're waiting for him. And Elisha wasn't alone. And so maybe you might feel alone, but I want you to know that you're not alone this morning. And so as I begin to wrap up where we are, there's a third person I want to introduce us to, this morning as we wrap up it's this one it's a candle that hasn't been lit and if there's somebody in the room today that hasn't had a relationship with God in any way shape or form today is your opportunity today is your opportunity to come here and understand what this is all about in the front why are we so taken up by this worship is because we love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and so I'm not going to go into, let's close our heads. I, I want to, if, you, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to stand up and say, that's me. I want to understand this relationship with Christ. Is there anybody here this morning that says, I haven't had a relationship with Christ and I want this relationship with Christ? Is there anybody? And if there isn't anybody, shame on me and you. Because there's empty chairs here. And those chairs should be filled with people that don't have this. And we need to challenge ourselves to get to a place that when we ask on a Sunday morning, is there anybody that doesn't know Christ, that there would be hands that would go up. Because we are selfish if we don't bring people to Christ. And so that's really powerful for me to begin to challenge myself that there shouldn't be an empty chair next to me. Then I want to pray for these people. If you feel, man, Lord, just take my life. This is just too much for me this morning. We want to pray with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for everyone that's represented here this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that if somebody's sitting in this auditorium today that's feeling like this this thing that, that, that you've called them to do is just too much for them. And that they're feeling like their flame is going out. Lord, I pray that you would touch them. That you would speak to them in the small, quiet voice this morning. And that they would find rest in you this morning, Lord Father. That they would reconnect with you this morning. And I would ask every person that is feeling that way this morning, that before you leave today, please come and stand with somebody. Let somebody stand with you in prayer this morning. And then finally, I want to pray for people that are like Daniel. Your fire's going, and you're standing strong. Father, continually bless these people, Lord. Come around them. Keep them strong, Lord, Father God. We want to thank you for that, Lord. Father, we want to thank you for our time together this morning, Lord. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.